Good evening. I'd like to call this meeting of the Charter Review Committee to order, please. Shirley, uh, could you take a moment to make the usual announcements? Sure. Um, if you have a cell phone, if you could turn it to the silent or vibrate, that would be appreciated. We have agendas and speaker slips located in the back of the room. If you wish to speak, if you could complete that and turn it into Don at the front, the assistant city clerk position. Um, we also have assisted listening devices, should anyone need them. And just a note that this meeting is being video streamed and can be accessed from the city's website at cityofsacramento.org. Thank you. I think, uh, Shirley, we're ready for a roll call and your determination as to whether we have a quorum. Okay. Joanne Fuller? Cecily Hastings? Grantland Johnson? Alan LaFaso? Here. Robert Murphy? Here. Chester Newland? Here. Chris Tapio? Here. John Taylor? Here. Tina Thomas? Here. And Jay Wisham? Then, then, of course, Chair Edgar? Yes. We do have a quorum. Thank you. Patty, staff comment? Yes, I have uh, two report backs. One is uh, Commissioner Rafaso asked for a report back on uh, incumbent turnover when, uh, um, I'm sorry, instant voting is used. And we put a message out to Mr. Bobier asking him that question. We haven't heard back, but I want you to know we are following up on that. The second item is that at the last meeting you asked to us to add to the benchmark cities matrix the um, certified initiative that the council approved for the June uh, 2010 election. And so in your agenda packet is the new um, benchmark cities matrix with that information included. Thank you. Um, the next item is called a member report out. And members, we, we put this on the agenda as a new item for members to report out on their speaking engagements or meetings they've attended on behalf of the Charter Committee since our last meeting. So while you're thinking about that and looking at your calendar to determine whether you've done that, uh, <laughs> let me uh, indicate that I uh, spoke on behalf of the committee on three uh, separate occasions recently. One is actually b uh, before our last meeting was to the City Management Association at City Hall on July 29th. Then I responded to the City Council at their meeting on August 6th when they set the date for the Mayor's Initiative for June 8th, 2010. And then on August 8th, I made a presentation to the League of Women Voters at the Arden Dimmick Library on Watt Avenue. So um, those are the ones. Is there anybody else that have, have made uh, meetings or speaking engagements on behalf of the committee? Cecily? Yes, I spoke um, last Wednesday at the East Sacramento Chamber of Commerce. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Um, members, we're on item number one. Are there any changes or corrections to the minutes? If not, I would be pleased to have a motion and a second to approve the minutes. Okay. Thank you. All in favor? 
Opposed? Okay. Patty, we're on item number two, correspondence. I believe there were two items of correspondence that were included in your packet. Yes, the, the one I think from uh, Kate Lennox is self-explanatory that sets forth her position. Um, there was a series of questions from Adrian Torres. Did, did we get a hold of him or talk? We, we followed up with a phone call Mark okay, did great. and spoke to that individual. Okay, great. Yes. Thank you. Anything else on correspondence? Okay. Okay, items three and four are really the substance of uh, tonight's meeting. And um, let me just make some opening comments. And the, the first item, of course, uh, item number three is our revised work plan. And as you know, at the meeting of August 6th, the City Council decided to place the uh, Strong Mayor Initiative on the ballot for June 8th, 2010. Um, as most of you know, there was a great deal of discussion related to this item. And after hearing from me and answering questions and, and finding out that uh, we were in uh, our review. They asked us to, uh, to report back uh, to them as soon as possible at an earlier date than we had uh, originally planned. Uh, they wanted us to refocus on the governance issue and the power of the mayor uh, and the city manager primarily. And they wanted time to deliberate on these issues and have the time to determine whether or not they want to uh, place a competing measure on the ballot. So um, let's talk about what that shortened schedule means and look at the proposed calendar that we've included with your uh, agenda packet. Um, first of all, I think we need to talk about some of the things that we're not going to be able to do and just for discussion purposes, uh, my sense is we need to focus on the governance issue, veto, budget, appointment power, and term limits. My sense is we need to uh, eliminate from consideration the green waste, which we've already done, uh, eliminate from consideration the cleanup items, um, the delegation and reservation of powers item, I think we ought to defer to the council and, and have them discuss that in their deliberations. The Ethics Commission, uh, we have not talked at all about, and given our new timetable, my view is we're not going to have time to do that, and we should eliminate that from consideration. Full-time city council, uh, I think the same thing. Uh, we haven't specifically talked about that, and of course, the, you can always come back and talk about it. On the elections issue, I think we ought to refer that to a special blue ribbon panel that would have expertise on this particular matter and re have them report back to the council uh, and that issue could be taken up at a later date. 
But my sense is if what the Council wants us to do is refocus on governance, veto, budget, appointment power, and term limits. So that means to we have to modify our work program, and I'm suggesting that we need to talk about deferring or at least eliminating from discussion some of these other items. Let's take a look at the calendar to see really what that means. Um, what we'd be saying is if you look at August, tonight's meeting will be talking about the governance, budget, appointment, veto, term limits. In September, we would try to formulate a tentative recommendation on these issues. Uh, further discussion on a draft report on the 21st. The month of October, basically, um, or uh, September through October 9th, we would be doing community outreach meetings to get a sense of what the community feels about our kind of tentative proposals. And then in October, we would come back and review our, the preliminary comments, further discussion in October. Monday, October 19th, we'd approve our final report and present the final report to the Council on November 3rd. And that's earlier than they asked us to do, but to be honest, I think they need the time to deliberate um, on what they're going to have to be talking about. So let's chat about that. It's a revised work program and a revised um, calendar, uh, essentially um, emerging because of the action that the City Council uh, has taken and requested us to consider. Ms. Hastings. I want to make a note that on August 3rd, you have listed full-time status mayor and council, but I don't think we actually discussed that. Um. If we did, I missed it. <laughs> Oh, no, I don't think that has been discussed. I think you're right. Okay. Um, in, in lieu of what you just said, I was wondering whether or not, um, I think the issue of the full-time status of the mayor and the city council are two different items. We already have a full-time mayor. Right. Okay? I agree. So I think if we eliminate mayor from that. I think the issue of full-time council um, is something that we still ought to look at, but is it possible to actually have a separate discussion maybe even after November 3rd about that? Because I see it as a separate issue. I know it is a charter change, but it, it's um, considering our new direction, it seems like it's a different uh, direction. And I think that um, if it's ever going to get discussed, we probably ought to do it on this committee. I think it's relevant to the changes in the charter for the mayor's uh, responsibility and job description. Okay. Could be and a totally separate recommendation. Yeah, I, I, I just think that the discussion of a full-time council, I, I agree with you that the full-time mayor is indecided, so we don't need to talk about that, but I, I really 
I really think we haven't talked about a full-time council, and uh, with all these other things to do, I don't think we have time to do it, but it's up to the committee. Joanne? I also um, have a reaction to your suggestion uh, concerning the Ethics Commission. This is something that, uh, uh, with the type of changes being discussed, um, I think is clearly important. And I, uh, you know, I hear uh, Ms. Hastings talk about other issues or another issue that um, is also important. And I just wonder what we're going to do with these issues that. Um, are clearly uh, central to the governance in Sacramento, but may not be uh, within our time frame given the earlier report. Mr. LaFaso. Um, number one, Mr. Chairman, I, uh, I'm adapting myself, but I think you uh, characterized the spirit of the situation and the time the council is going to need to deliberate. And I appreciate that very much. Uh, like some of my colleagues, I'm having a little trouble letting go of a few issues, uh, <laughs> namely uh, uh, full-time council members and, uh, and the Ethics Commission. Uh, I'm wondering if uh, we could bring ourselves some focus and try to um, subordinate consideration of those to the core governance issue. Um, I did a little research over the weekend, and I Noted in the matrix, there doesn't seem to be a lot of correlation between mayor, council, and council manager systems and full-time council members. So maybe that one's a dud. But maybe on the ethics commission, um, maybe after our preliminary decision making this meeting and next meeting, if we could ask staff to do a little research on how ethics commissions shake out in uh, different forms, so we can at least offer some thinking on how that issue relates to the core issue we're, we're talking about. Okay, Ms. Thomas. Um, like others, I think it would be important to discuss the mayor, the full-time mayor and council. And in particular, with regard to the full-time mayor, I think we need to consider whether or not the full-time mayor can have another source of income. And I think just about um, Joe Cerna's uh, uh, tenure, obviously he was... Um, able to do a full-time job. I know it wasn't a full-time job at that time, but he certainly put in a full-time um, job and, you know, was able to teach. And I think that we don't want to preclude people who are qualified to be the mayor, and we should let the voters decide, not um, make a decision here about that. So I'd like to at least have that discussion about whether or not the mayor can have a, another source of income. And in your view on the full-time council? Excuse me? And your view on the full-time council? Um, I, I could address that or not address that in this. Okay. Um, if it's kind of, if we, it's, I think it's going to be a question of time. We have limited dates left, and we're going to have a pretty full debate on governance and um, the budget. So I think that um, those two are my primary focus. Okay. Um, Mr. Tapia. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. I just had um, well, a question and one observation. In terms of the observation on the calendar, you have October 12th as a potential meeting date. Um, I believe that's Columbus Day, um, which doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad day for a meeting, but I just wanted to address, uh, to raise that with you. Second, um, do we anticipate a revised resolution from the council that would yes. officially move up our date and yes. perhaps from the council 
redirect our efforts, you know, to, to specifically look at some of these issues and not look at some, and, and maybe even address some of these, you know, in November, you know, and, and, you know, come up with recommendations on X, Y, and Z, you know, in the fall and A, B, and C in the winter, something along those lines. Ms. Hastings. I support what Mr. Tabio just said, and I also support what Ms. Thomas said in terms of um, the looking at the other sources of income that the mayor is able to have and the full-time status in regard to that, more than the, the, the full-time status, that other issue. Um, Fresno is, is uh, one of our um, uh, gentlemen testified at our end of our last meeting, uh, gave us some information specifically out of Fresno's charter that addresses that, and I think that's, that's a vital thing that we should look at. Okay. Um, okay, Matt, you, you are required to present a resolution to the council. You, you were going to present a resolution redefining our work program? Uh, <clears throat> yes, Mr. Chair, it's my intention to report to the council next Tuesday, August 25th, on a proposed revised, I'm sorry, or amended resolution um, addressing two issues as stated in Councilmember Cohn's motion, and that is the timing for the report back by this committee as well as the scope of the work. So I'm, um, you know, already drafting a report, simple, very simple report, and with an uh, amended resolution subject to whatever, you know, direction or input the committee has here tonight. But <clears throat> whatever the committee decides, I will be reporting back next Tuesday with a some kind of report to council so they can come with a decision on, on what to do. But of course, if you recall from the, from the motion made by Councilmember Cohn, there is at least um, one uh, certain element of the a report which has uh, got to meet council's approval, and that's the having the completed recommendations before December 1st. Right. Okay, this this proposal that's before you this evening, members, um, gives us a final report to the council on November 3rd. Uh, my particular opinion is that the council is going to need as much time as they can. The debate is before the council at this point, not here. And uh, they're going to need as much time as possible to decide on various issues. So. We need to arrive at some sort of decision as to how we're going to recommend. Ms. Thomas. Um, I, I agree with you. The debate's going to occur in front of the council, and I think we need to get it to them really quickly. Um, I was just wondering about this date, October 12th, and if we could instead do the 19th and the 26th. I don't know if this chamber is available on the 26th of October, but, but if it were, that might make some sense. Um, sure. Okay. And your suggestion, Mr. Chair, Mr. Chair yeah. can I make a friendly suggestion? Yeah. Just for consideration of the city clerk and staff, that may, if if this committee is going to return by the third, that may cause a little bit of crunch for getting um, reports to oh. the city council. But I mean, you could just push it back to November tenth or something yeah, like that. If, if that was going to be the suggestion. Mm -hmm. Well, we have at least on the. Yeah. Um, recommended calendar that our report would be done on the 19th. 
so there should be plenty of time to get it to the council. Now, if the committee decides to talk about some other things, uh, then that would be problematic. So, Mr. Taylor. All I was going to do is suggest that we have another meeting in November beyond the schedule there to tag on the other couple of issues, which would be the full-time council members, the, the status of the mayor, the employment outside of, of his mayoral duties, and also the ethics commission, and send the report out on the 3rd and then send a supplemental report containing those two things at the end. Does that do it? Okay. Does everybody think that's okay? Okay, so then we'll talk about the full-time mayor on this issue that Ms. Thomas talked about and the full-time council and the Ethics Commission uh, after our preliminary report is sent to them on the 3rd, and then we will send them a supplemental report mm -hmm. on those two items by what date, John? By our December 1st? Maybe Shirley could uh, put a date there. You're probably we're going to need two meetings to do that, one to discuss it and one to finalize it, I would think. They could come pretty close to each other, but I would assume before Thanksgiving. But if there's some available dates, maybe we could get those added. We would have to look at the calendar. There are several um, other JPAs and boards and commissions that use this room. I know um, every other Monday might be available, et cetera, so it's a little scattered. But I can look and provide to the chair um, all the dates that are available in October and November so that we have a full availability to be flexible with the dates. Well, how about this? The uh, council has asked us to come back on December 1st with our report. Why don't we come back to them on November 3rd with our preliminary, mm -hmm. with our first uh, recommendation, and then take the meetings that have been previously scheduled in November mm -hmm. and not change those but use them to discuss these other two items and then get the report back, that supplemental report back by December 1st, which would meet their deadline anyway. Okay. That, that would be November 5th and November 16th, which is already on the work plan. Right, right. Mm -hmm. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Is that That's okay, good. John? That is that enough time to talk about these two items? Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, with those changes, uh, oh, Ms. Fuller. That addresses my concern. Okay. Um, okay, Patty, are you clear on that? Yes, we'll revise the calendar based on adding two dates in November and adding those three items to be heard during those two dates. Okay. And Matt, do you have any? Pardon? Issues on that? Is that clear enough for you to go to the council with the resolution? I can always watch it on videotape tomorrow. <laughs> but I, I will attempt to, uh, uh, what I will do is my intention will be to present to the council a summary of this committee's direction from this evening and on what it wishes to accomplish. And then, you know, it, it's up to the council as to how they want to deal with the actual uh, adjusting the resolution. Okay. But I'll, I'll see if I can't hopefully boil this down as simple as possible. Okay. Ms. Thomas. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that Patty got the change in those October dates as well. So eliminate the 12th and go the 19th, uh, 19th and the 26th. Is that? Okay. I, I think what we were talking about is the problem is if you we hear on the 26th, we have to have the report in to be printed on the agenda by that Wednesday. Mm. So we'll be here Monday night and we'd have to have the report. Oh. 
Okay, so can we find a date, even if we do it, we couldn't do it on uh, just another day between, that gives you plenty of time, but it could be that we do the 19th and the 21st or something like that, just find another day. So the week of the 12th is not good for most people? I think, um, I know I'm out of the country. Um, okay. The 12th itself is Columbus Day. I don't know what everyone else's availability is. That would be better for me. But, I mean, I'm not the only consideration, obviously, so. We can look to find another date and mm -hmm. see what's available and work with you on that date. How about if we send some date options to everyone to add that second date? Would that work? Yeah, we were, we were looking at one other date in October in order to meet the November deadline mm -hmm. for our first recommendation. Right. And then the November dates that we have previously scheduled be the ones where we talk about the full-time mayor, full-time council, and mm -hmm. the ethics. And that will that doesn't seem to be any adjustment. So what we're trying to do is come up with one more meeting in October sometime. Right. So we can send some options. We'll check with Shirley on availability of the facility. We'll send some options out and find out what works best for everyone. That makes sense. Okay. okay. For the second okay. October date. The third October date, actually, would be. Yeah. Okay. Um, Mr. Newland, Dr. Newland. Staff probably knows quite well that Los Angeles Ethics Commission has won a lot of awards for outstanding work. It's exceedingly easy to secure that information. Or I don't think it will take time at all to see how they've operated, what they've achieved. Okay, thank you. Okay, do we have any outside speakers on this item? We Before have we several vote. speakers that are signed up for either three or four, and some were uncertain as to which item. <laughs> but I can give you those that specifically marked item number three. Okay, we're talking about the revised work plan and revised calendar at this point. Is there anybody from the audience that wants to speak on this item? I have yeah. three of them. Okay. And this is Chuck O'Neill. Thank you. I realize your time frame has been shortened, but we're really disappointed that you will be removing electoral reform from your, your charter review. I would ask that that be given a high priority to address in your November uh, discussions. Uh, we can greatly simplify it in several ways, and I'd be glad to work with you on that. One way is to just address instant runoff voting, which will give us a lot of improvement. Uh, we can uh, postpone or, or uh, conditionally approve it, subject to uh, having uh, inexpensive uh, certified equipment available, uh, which takes away a lot of those issues. By just removing proportional representation from the table, it simplifies a lot of the issues that people have over this. So I would urge you to please uh, include that. If you can't include it on your, on your initial report, please do include it in your November report. Thank you, Chuck. Okay. Ms. Justice, did you want to speak on this item? Yes. Okay. Thank 
you. Uh, essentially, I just wanted to add to what Mr. O'Neill has already said, uh, that we are really hoping that you can keep this item on your agenda and subject to all of the restraints that now come into it uh, and that it may come at a later date. Uh, we feel that IRB is very important. It's something we've been working on for quite some time, and, uh, and we'd appreciate your consideration. Thank you. Mr. Nimick. Thank you very much. I would also like to support Chuck O'Neill's agenda and ask that it not be removed uh, or at least reconsider it uh, for a later report. But I'd like to support IRB. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Fuller. Uh, the item uh, under election should city consider alternative voting procedures for mayor city council for mayor council elections. Um, is that not uh, IRV? Is that the, the sort of topic for, that IRV would come under? And yes. And it's, it's on the current worksheet here. We're recommending, or at least I was recommending, that that be um, that that subject matter be deferred to a panel of experts and that the recommendations come back to the council at a later date. That's what's on the table right now. <clears throat> Ms. Thomas. Uh, I concur with your proposal. I think that we just don't have sufficient information to make that kind of a determination right now. And we'd need to work with the, you know, the city clerk's office, with the um, various electoral offices. We don't know anything about the type of um, voting apparatus. And I, I just don't feel comfortable make, making that kind of a important decision based on the short amount of time we have and the limited, limited amount of information. So therefore, I think it would be great, and I think it's an excellent suggestion to put together some sort of a blue ribbon panel who would address that in a more um, in more in-depth way. Um, Mr. Taylor. I would simply support the Blue Ribbon Panel as well. I think it's the best way to handle it. I think it gives a separate form and can do the, the issue justice in that fashion. Okay. Um, Mr. Johnson. Uh, you know I have to speak on this. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pragmatist and a realist, and, and I understand uh, the use of the uh, pressure time uh, to sort of marginalize this issue. Um, but I feel very strongly that um, it, it really needs to seriously be explored. And I would hate to use the tribe and, 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 and true tested burial ground of a Blue Ribbon Committee. You know, what happens is that uh, we talk about a Blue Ribbon Committee of experts. We never define Blue Ribbon. We never define expert. And we never, we never really give a serious consideration. And it sort of just dissipates and dies um, an un unnatural death. Uh, I, I think that I think the, I think the citizens of the of the city deserve a much more robust and serious discussion uh, of these various alternatives. I'm not satisfied with the glib notion, and no no offense. Well, I guess it is meant to be offensive. The glib notion of saying a blue ribbon uh, committee of experts, because I don't know what that means, and I don't have any 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 substantive sense of how that it plays out other than it's a nice convenient way 
of basically uh, putting it off and not having to deal with it. Uh, I would uh, prefer that we give more specific set of recommendations uh, in terms of the process of moving forward to investigate uh, these alternatives to the council and let the council consider that and make a decision um, what type of uh, uh, inquiry uh, they're prepared to support. But I don't think this is sufficient just to say uh, pun it to a blue, some, some, some unknown vague notion of a blue ribbon committee of experts. Again, I don't know what an expert means. Uh, I don't know why you would not have everyday citizens uh, who really have the greatest stakes involved, and I'm not sure what their lack of expertise um, might mean, uh, given that vague definition or vague reference to the notion uh, of, of expert. So uh, my request of the committee is that we um, give it a lot more uh, substance in terms of how we how we transmit this, transmit uh, this notion to the uh, the city council, and really emphasize the importance of having uh, full exploration. I don't have a problem um, uh, single out as 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 for separate focus because I think it probably deserves that. I think the complexities require that, but I'm but I'm not at all enamored with the notion of just taking it to the side and sort of dismissing it out of convenience. Okay, that's fair, I think. Um, uh, much more uh, specific recommendation in which we define the process and the makeup of this so-called panel, right? Okay. And I'm uh, certainly willing to step up and help out, help, help shape the recommendation. Okay, that would be great. Thanks. John? Okay, so where that got left a moment ago was defining the panel further. Is that process and panel? Okay. What I was going to suggest, and maybe this is unnecessary, was perhaps making a third tier. We have two tiers in this process right now. One of the things, Mr. Chairman, that you outlined at the beginning of the meeting, the next of those additional three issues, perhaps this group may want to stay impaneled to consider the, the voting issue in the month of December. Um, I don't mean to skirt it in any fashion, Grantland. I was looking at how to, how to get out the work products would need to be there, but maybe it's three work products and that becomes a third one. Uh, frankly, I would need to know an awful lot more about it than I do at the moment to make any kind of recommendation, but um, just to put that on the, on the table, too, that this same group could do it and, and just run that a little bit longer if that's satisfactory to the Council. Matt, would this require on the voting procedure a charter amendment as well, I take it? Yes. And that would affect only the city. How does the city interface with the county then on, on, on that for, and just be city elections, I guess, would, would apply only to those? The city is empowered to adopt its own method and form of um, election. But, of course, we consolidate the elections with the county, and the county actually performs the physical work of getting that accomplished for us. So I believe as the uh, uh, registrar informed us back uh, last month, you know, what happens is if the city goes one way and no other jurisdictions are going that way, the city would bear the financial brunt of getting the requisite machines and, and paying for the process, etc. But certainly the city could go off on its own direction irrespective of what the other jurisdictions are doing. Okay. So I just leave on the table the possibility of considering doing this as a third-tier work product. Not that it's the third tier, but it would be the third in the sequence. 
Okay, I, I think the first order of business would be to define the process and define what that panel would look like and have it brought back to the committee for discussion. Um, I'm not I'm not particularly enamored with the idea of this committee um, dealing with this particular issue because I don't think we have the skill set on this group to do that, to be honest. Understood. Um, I was just going to say, uh, that's, that's not up for the thing. We've had a presentation at least twice, right? and books provided to us. Well, yeah, but that... Uh, I, I have I the sense it, we could learn. Again, I don't know what the, I don't know what the mean by expertise. I mean, I, I mean uh, it's kind of inconsistent to, to say, to suggest that one doesn't understand the subject matter, and then, on the other hand, the next breath suggests... Uh, someone doesn't have expertise because you haven't defined what the expertise required is. Uh, it's a question of, from a democratic standpoint, democratic process standpoint, um, what facilitates the broad expansion of democracy, democratic participation, and accountability, it seems to me. And uh, I'd be more interested in starting from that basic premise in terms of defining who's an expert. Um, well, and, I, I think and that's we've fair. also we brought in other experts on on these other subject matters by conference call and by actually presence. Okay, Ms. Fuller. I was going to note that we have had the, the presentation on IRV um, and support uh, what Mr. Taylor presents. You know, this is an issue that people have come to us, come before us um, with eagerness, um, and there are several jurisdictions in the Bay Area and around that are adopting this. So it is an up-and-coming issue, and um, I, I would uh, favor the approach uh, that Mr. Taylor presented of adding this to our work plan. Okay, Mr. Murphy. Well, I'm going to just echo what some other people said quickly. Um, I don't think we can do it in the current situation. I think it has to be pulled out separately. I don't believe you can do it in a meeting and a half or three or four hours in December. Uh, I think it's a huge subject. I, I feel like I am not naive about the subject, but I, we just glossed the surface of it, and it needs a lot more presentation. So if it were to be this group, I think you're going to go beyond December. Um, and, and working up that the panel, I agree with uh, Mr. Johnson. Uh, I think you can get a nice mix and or presentations. It shouldn't be either or. So, so while I appreciate what, what's been said here about the timing of it, uh, and pushing it back, I, I wouldn't want, frankly, to think in two hours, four hours, in December we can put together a solid recommendation on a subject as wide and deep as the city election process. Mr. Taylor. Let, let me just magnify on what I suggested a moment ago. Why don't we consider doing the two meetings in December, at the end of those two meetings decide where we are, if there needs to be more time, but there should be another group, but take the two meetings in December and, and talk it through. That doesn't mean we need to come to a resolution at that point in time. Mr. Murphy, I, I think your warning there is a, is a good one. It will take more time probably, but we can decide that after those two meetings. Okay, so what we're going to do then is have our first 
group of recommendations to the Council on the 3rd. We'll take um, November and December to talk about full-time Mayor, Council, Ethics Commission, and um, at least take a look at this elections issue. And in the terms of the elections issue, may have uh, another decision at the end of that time. Is that generally what we've agreed to? Okay, Patty, are you clear on that? At, at one point, you were talking about a December 1st supplemental report to Council, so that would not occur, and then any supplemental report would occur following the December meetings? I think, well, what, what was your recommendation, John? Two supplemental reports? Two, yes. Okay, so two. one in December yeah. on the full-time mayor with the outside employment, the full-time council, and the ethics commission. That would be December 1. And then we'd have the elections issue in December and then have a report in January. Assuming the that the, assuming the committee was prepared right. to make a report at that time okay. after the second meeting. All right. And, and the report at that time may be to go further with that issue with this group or another group. Okay. Well, that, that's what I can put on the calendar then. Okay. <clears throat> Ms. Thomas. Uh, so for those meetings in December, what I'd be interested in learning about would be um, some sort of a presentation from the voter, the registrar of voters, whether or not the current um, voting machines we have are, you know, um, capable of addressing this kind of a um, voting mechanism, and then um, what would be the cost to the city if we were to go this direction on instant runoff voting, what would be the cost to the city. So I'd need that kind of information in order to make a decision. I, th I thought we had that. We do. Okay. I, I think at the last meeting when uh, Jill was here, she actually presented that. Okay. Uh, because they've, they've had to do that for the city of Elk Grove, okay. who, who was thinking about doing that, I believe. Yes. There was, yeah. if I might add, there was one piece of information that Jill stated that, or was there was an assumption that the existing machines would be able to be converted with some kind of an application to accommodate this, but in further discussions with her after that meeting, the machines cannot be updated to accommodate the applications that IRB would require. So we would bring all of that back at some when we come back in December and lay that all out for you. That would be great. Can I speak to that, please? Of course, Chuck. Yeah. The California Association of, of, of Electoral Officials is very much against IRV, and they have continually come back and said it's going to cost far more than it does. Minneapolis is going to use the exact same equipment we've got to do the exact same thing. There's something wrong with what Ms. Levine uh, said. She hasn't investigated it further enough, far enough, to make a, a good decision. Elk Grove was a couple years ago. A lot has changed since then. So, you know, I just don't want you to jump to the conclusion that because she said it when she was here that that's correct. Everybody makes mistakes, and we need to talk with her and get that straightened out. Okay. You have an assignment. Uh, Ms. Fuller. I make the point that there were a couple of things that uh, Ms. Levine said that uh, I believe the city attorney um, refuted one of them, and I think there is some other uh, dis discussion about the actual cost of it and, that, and uh, availability of machines. So, 
Okay. Ms. Thomas. So perhaps we can get the um, registrar from Minneapolis uh, to weigh in on this as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, is everybody clear? Any more questions on what we're doing? Okay. We, we've got a new work plan that's going to focus in on governance, appointment power, vetoes, budget, term limits. That report will be submitted by November 3rd to the City Council. Supplemental report, full-time Mayor Council Ethics Commission will be submitted, discussed in November and submitted in December. And then we will spend our last two meetings talking about the elections issue in December and making a determination at that point as to whether we can make a recommendation or uh, develop a process and a panel for the elections issue to come back at a later date. We okay on that? Okay. Um, do we need a vote on that? Matt, do you want to vote? Do you want to? <laughs> uh, no, I, I meant in terms of your resolution to the city council. So no moved. Okay. <laughs> okay. We have a roll call, please. Sure. Joanne Fuller. Yes. Yeah. Cecily Hastings. Yes. Grantland Johnson. Uh, Alan Lavasso. Yes. Robert Murphy. Yes. Chester Newland. Yes. Chris Tapio. John Taylor? Yes. Tina Thomas? Yes. Jay Wisham is absent. And Chair Edgar? Yes. It's unanimous. Thank you. Okay. Item four is uh, then a discussion, at least our initial discussion, on the um, governance structure and related issues. And we wanted to use the worksheet that has been passed out as part of the agenda to begin our discussion. And it seems to me that we need to talk about these issues in kind of uh, chunks. And the first chunk, or one chunk, would be um, whether we need to divide the legislative and executive functions or whether they remain together, whether the mayor should sit with the council and deliberate and vote or not, um, and depending upon what our situation is uh, on that, whether the mayor ought to have a veto power. Then there's the area of budget, who presents the budget, and who makes the uh, uh, who who prepares the budget and who presents the budget? Then there's the appointment power, um, primarily the four charter officers uh, and department heads, and then there's the other exempt management staff. Then there's the issue of term limits, and then there's the effective date of whatever recommendation we come up with. So at this point, I think um, we can take up any 
one of those items, but let's talk about, first of all, whether or not uh, the mayor should deliberate with the city council. Should the mayor devote or vote with the council? Uh, and sh or should the government be divided um, along the lines that we have at the state and federal levels? Um, Ms. Hastings. Okay, quick comment. Uh, when you said, the last thing you said when you went through this list was the timing, I think, of when it becomes effective. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't actually see that on here. Maybe I'm missing it. But um, we could add it as an item of transition time. Yes. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, and maybe it's just the way my mind is thinking about it, but I'd like to suggest there's two items on here that relate to the city council as opposed to the um, the mayor in particular, and that is that the city council members subject to term limits and the council members serving full time. And I'd like to consider maybe putting those in a separate category. That would be fine. And, and to just think of them as something different than the rest of it. We're going to be talking about in our next uh, in tier two, so to speak, the uh, full-time council. Um, Mr. Taylor. All I was going to suggest is, is, is it possible to talk about this? I know there are, what, are there five questions there? And I think they're all around the general concept. Should the functions be divided between executive and legislative? Uh, as, you, as you mentioned, Mr. Chair, a few moments ago, as it's done at the state and the federal level. I just find it easier to talk in those terms than, than the, the, the various questions which are there. Should there be a separation of powers with the uh, mayor becoming essentially the, the, the chief executive, sitting apart from the council, and the, the council acting as the legislative body, or should they be retained as a whole as they are today? Uh, with, the count, with the mayor being one member of that council. Yes, that's, that's a central issue here, and that was one of the items that I think we, we need to get out on the table. Dr. Newland. Yeah, I like the way John stated it, and it's the way you've been stating it mm -hmm. throughout the CRC experience. Uh, I think that experience in this nation demonstrates that as in parliamentary systems, having the executive structure as a part of the legislative body rather than separated provides opportunities for great leadership instead of decision by command and control. I realize that leadership that brings people together and brings about collaboration from neighborhood level through the entire city is quite challenging. It requires high talents. And that's one of the great virtues of the system of a council with the mayor as a part of it. And then that council and the mayor relying heavily upon professionals in terms of carrying out the policies, uh, implementing the services for the city. So to repeat, I think having the mayor as a part of the council, just like having the prime minister in the United Kingdom 
as a part of the parliament is challenging in that it requires leadership that is thoughtful, that brings people together instead of driving them apart and separating them. And we need to consider that experience. Ms. Fuller. One thing that's resonated with me as people have talked about this um, is the opportunity for people to engage in discussion with their elected leaders uh, at the city council meeting. And having the mayor there, I think, facilitates that. Ms. Hastings. Um, I guess I'm going to address the whole issue rather than the pieces and parts. Um, you know, the status quo in my mind is the system that we have, exactly like we have. Um, I'm not aware of that many changes that we can make to the council manager system we have. The voters are going to have a choice in June for a strong mayor initiative. In my, after going through this whole, all these meetings, I feel it has serious flaws. I think it's a legitimate form of government from what we've heard from the experts that we've talked to, former city managers, current city managers, mayors, former mayors. And I think we might want to not look at the question of do we want a council manager system of government or do we want an executive mayor council form of government. But if we are going to offer an alternative as a executive mayor form of government, what is the best um, set of, um, or what are the best features of that, is the best way to say it, that will work within the type of community we have, um, be a transition from the type of system we have now, um, but will offer some benefits to the city and give that as an option to voters that are seeking some type of change. So I'm not sure what you're saying. Do, do you, are you inclined to agree that we should keep the legislative and executive functions together, or are you saying that they should be split, or what are you saying? Well, you know, from what I understand, a executive mayor system it comes in many different shades of gray, and that it is possible to have an executive mayor but one that also sits on the council. Now, many of the, the people that we heard from, um, one of the things that came through, and I need to check my detailed notes, but that um, most of the strong mayor's systems that we looked at involved the mayor being separate from the council. But a number of the people we talked to said that that was one of their regrets, was that the mayor didn't sit with the council, especially came true from at least three people in Fresno made that um, statement. So I think um, we need to seriously look at that in particular. Does that answer your question, Bill? Well, then I'm not sure. <laughs> Are you saying that the mayor should deliberate and vote with the city council or not? Well, in the of the people we had testify before us that have worked within strong mayor systems that had the 
Executive Mayor, sit outside the council, not be part of the council. I'm leaving the voting side apart, uh, the voting issue aside here. In particular, Fresno, the former mayors and city managers said that they felt that that was a mistake, was not having the mayor sit with the council. Right. Okay. So, so you want the mayor to sit with the council and deliberate with the council and vote with the council? I think there. I think that that was uh, something that came loud and clear to me in the testimony. Okay. That I just wanted to get a clarification because I wasn't understanding, Mr. Taylor. So, Dr. Newland, a few moments ago, talked about collaboration. I'm not sure, Chet, if that was the word you used. But the system that we currently have is a collaborative system. And I think that that has functioned well for this community. I think it functions in, in, in the sense of the character of the community well. Um, I was mentioning to somebody earlier this afternoon, there's a whole body of literature in political science which talks about how collaborative processes are very cumbersome to work with to get things done. But yet they allow the community to function as a whole because the interest of many, many parties are brought into the process. And I think that's been a, a, a tremendous characteristic of value that this community has had with its current system. Uh, but picking up on what I think Ms. Hastings was saying just a moment ago, it also strikes me that sometimes with the maturation of the city, there may be, need to be some adjustments to that. And there may be some powers which the mayor should have, which the mayor currently doesn't have, maybe with respect to the budget, maybe with respect to other issues. So there's more centralized authority. Uh, and so what, in answering that first question, Mr. Chair, which is there, uh, I would favor a situation where the mayor continues to sit with the council, which is not to say that the mayor shouldn't have some enhanced powers with respect to the, the budget, with perhaps uh, with respect perhaps to appointments. I don't know what those might be, but some enhanced powers while remaining part of the collaborative process, which is the city council as it currently exists. And, and, John, you would say that the mayor would also vote with the council? Yes, and not have, not have veto authority. Okay. We haven't talked about veto yet. <laughs> yeah, they, well, they, there, there wouldn't be, you know, if you, if you did it that way, there wouldn't be any reason to have veto. That's basic. right. Yes. yes, right. You know, and if I could just ask <laughs> Professor Newland if you might comment, uh, as a professor of public administration, political science, the federal system is premised on the opposite notion from collaboration, is it not? Maybe you could just talk about that for a few moments. But the Federalist Number 10 and, and those documents which talk about force hitting force and those kinds of things, a very different kind of notion than collaboration. Did I put you on the spot? No. <laughs> uh, certainly as professional management in the service of political leadership has been developed under council, professional management, it has sought to follow a parliamentary model of unity, trying to bring about community-wide initiatives and understanding. And by and large, that has worked, as you know, in Sacramento. It has had the result of building a community feeling and culture. It's also important to note, however, that in those parliamentary systems, quite frankly, the leadership of the prime minister is much stronger usually than that of the president of the United States. In that the leadership of the council by the prime minister is political while still relying, of course, on professionals 
to carry out the decisions of Parliament. And that continues, I think, research demonstrates, to be true in council manager government as a rule. Certainly to enhance the leadership role of a mayor. That individual can give a, be given responsibilities in the charter. And those responsibilities would be perhaps to include the annual State of the City Address to deal with initiatives, to make proposals of selected performance audits to be performed by the same annual group that does the financial audit of the year. Probably, just as a prime minister would in a parliamentary system, that mayor should also be required to give at least quarterly reports on accomplishments and, in many respects, the successful mayors who have relied on collaborative leadership talents rather than command and control powers have, like Joe Cerna, reached beyond the city and tried to connect that city and the community at large, uh, as Joe did with schools, as other past mayors have done with SAC COG and so forth. So in short, the charter should provide that the mayor is responsible for providing that leadership. But I don't think that should be listed in terms of separate powers. If a mayor has ability for team leadership, he doesn't need those separate powers, but he does need stated responsibilities that people will listen to. And certainly a powerful state of the city address required by the charter at least quarterly reviews, recommendations by the mayor for performance audits, not the decision by the mayor to do them or not, but certainly responsible, thoughtful, informed recommendations are needed. And on that, Mayor Johnson has spoken well to some of the needs for Sacramento City. And with responsible leadership, a mayor can certainly get a majority of a council and the professional staff to embrace those along with others. So I'd put it in that framework. Mr. LaFossa. Well, actually, I was thinking about Dr. Newland's observation of the council system as like the parliamentary system, and I was going to sort of weigh in on a less credentialed and genteel way along the the lines I thought you were going, Mr. Taylor, which is I understand that the separation of powers system was originally designed because a unitary executive legislature was originally thought by our founding fathers to be too powerful and that divided government is a device to check the power of government, not facilitate the movement of government forward. Um, and given some thought about what checks and balances mean, which is the device in separate government, which is supposed to slow government down, um, if the checks check, you have balance, but you have potentially lack of progress through a conflict between the two branches. If the checks don't check, well, you don't have balance, 
but you can have progress. Um, but that's in the absence of checks and balances, not because of the presence of checks and balances. Um, so the point I'm getting to is I'm not sure that the some of the ideas that in city context, separation of powers is a way for a city to move forward. I'm not sure if, if one goes back to the fact that really it's the unified system of government which is supposed to uh, keep power contained in one collaborative place where the political entity can move forward. Um, I think the parliamentary example is very apt. Mr. Murphy. Let me, I, I want to make a couple comments, but let me start out that I think that I'm very quickly coming to a hybrid where the result is that the mayor does sit with the council. Perhaps, as, as Ms. Taylor said, with some additional powers, and I want to just spend a moment. Um, from the beginning of this process, uh, nearly a year, six months ago probably, a year's a little long, uh, I've tried to figure out why there's a need for change and the catalyst. And I have to think of all the presentations we've had, all the reading, particularly in California, the communities have moved to one or the other. There's been something in that community that's happened outside of the decision to go to one form or another. There's been some catalyst. Um, I think outside of one form or the other, that hasn't happened in this community, but we've had a catalyst now. And so having that happen, and we have one proposal out there, the question is, should there be another recommendation? And I think I've gotten there. And part of that is what's troubled me about this change is I think I've seen somewhat empirically now it isn't more efficient as desired. There is, in fact, duplication of effort. Um, you have an executive branch effort and you have a legislative branch effort. Now, the unspoken initiative, at least in the newspapers here, is on the budget. We're going to have a budget analyst. That un Under the wording of that initiative, a budget analyst initiative. Under the wording of that, that person is going to report to the city council if passed. Uh, so suddenly you have a budget coming from this side, and now we have another potential administration on this side. So I've tried to figure out what we can do to get the benefits here, but without all of that additional cost that comes along, too, in looking at this. And then finally, uh, um, everybody knows checks and balances. <laughs> and I believe a, a mayor sitting with the council perhaps with some other powers, but with some checks and balances, probably would be good. I am not prepared to go to that, that hybrid system, if you will, without talking about checks and balances. But um, my reasons for liking it is we've had some awesome mayors in this town over a number of years from a diff different generations, different uh, segments of this town who've known how to lead. And part of the way they lead is they take the bully pop pulpit with the council. And it's not all in the background. It's not all off to the side. It's not their representatives of the council. It's them there bringing everybody together in a collaborative manner. And, and I, think, I think I'd like to see that stay there. Um, I think the other thing is with that kind of plan, we might resolve some of our discussion about vetoes, about a ninth district that's kind of a big issue out there still, unresolved. We also might resolve, you'll recall, a lawyers issue residual powers. If the mayor still sits there, that, that issue has a lot of resolution. If you talk about it and think about it, it's still in the council with the mayor. It doesn't change, uh, potentially. 
Um, and then we had a, a small debate of who does the city attorney represent, the council or the mayor. Uh, that kind of plan begins to resolve some of those things. Anyway, going on too long, but that's on my thinking, my, my position. Okay, thank you. Let's move on to appointment power because I think at this point, um, you know, we're, we're, we're not talking about any kind of a decision. We're discussing issues, but um, the issue of um, should the mayor deliberate, sit with, and vote with the council is going to depend a lot on um, specific powers that the mayor has. Um, and the issue is appointment power. There are four charter officers now in the city, as we all know, city manager, city attorney, treasurer, and city clerk. Um, they're uh, appointed by the city council at this point. Um, having been a city manager, it's my particular opinion that this system works best when the mayor and the city manager can work together and get along well. If that is not the case, then the system falls down. And it seems to me that a change in the appointment of charter officers is worthy of some discussion. And I would submit that the charter officers appointed by the mayor and confirmed by a majority of the city council is worth discussing. I would also think that there has been some issue of this budget analyst auditor position. And it seems to me we ought to also consider the possibility of having a new fifth charter officer called an inspector general and that that person would be also appointed by the mayor and confirmed by the council. I would think that the department heads might be appointed by the city manager but confirmed by a majority of the city council. All other exempt and confidential employees below the level of department heads would be appointed and removed by the city manager. And it seems to me that in order to protect the city against corruption, that we ought to have uh, the mayor be able to remove any charter officer for convenience, but it would have to be approved by a majority of the city council. And then to prevent any kind of collusion on the part of the manager and the mayor, that the majority of the council could remove any charter officer, but that removal has to be with cause. Now, throw that on the table just for consideration. Mr. Dr. Newland. Let me return for a moment to the question of mayoral leadership and then pursue the question of appointments. Um, 
I noted earlier that successful mayors, of course, provide collaborative leadership within the city structure. But likewise, they provide regional leadership that is crucial. I can recall back when this community had four major military installations closing within a very short period of time, threatening the economy in numerous ways. Through mayoral leadership, Ann Rudin reached out, not uh, in the presence of easy choices, but bringing together a broad leadership for the county and beyond into the neighboring counties to deal with that issue and keep the economy moving strongly. Now, back in those days, I also favored what Tina and Grattan and others were supporting. That was city-county consolidation, <laughs> exactly for the same reason, so that we could have strong regional leadership, not merely of the city. And as we go forward, we certainly want to facilitate opportunities for mayors to be successful at that regional statewide and national level. Now getting to the issue of appointments. Having the key charter officials appointed by the council as a whole is one of the best protections of an active, strong leadership mayor. The leadership of the mayor, if it becomes involved in management, is likely to lead the mayor to jail rather than to success in the annals of American government. Frankly, we rely on charter officials to develop that culture of collaboration. And if they're appointed by the mayor, we lose that. The mayor can't afford to lose that. The mayor needs to be protected so that mistakes are not made, or when they are, that they'll be corrected quickly so as to help that mayor be a star rather than a boss. Likewise, department heads and others in the city, as professionals, will be serving the strong leadership of a star mayor by reporting to the council as a whole. And I would encourage the people of Sacramento to consider those realities. Mayors simply get into trouble unless they have strong leadership by chartered officials to keep them out of a mess. And when I was on a city council in Texas, even with that help I would get into a mess, at which point I would need the charter officials and the others to get me out of it. In short, I would urge this city to note those virtues, having strong leadership. If you go way back to the days when we adopted what was then called council-manager government, it did focus very much on one manager. Today, the ICMA stands for International City-County Management Association. In short, it doesn't just focus on one manager. It recognizes a team of managers at the charter and departmental levels and at its subordinate levels throughout the city. So it really has evolved into council professional management for the city. And again, I'll simply close with the one point. A mayor 
in order to be a star needs to be protected from being a boss. The boss mayor is fatal in most places where it has been tried. Look in New Jersey, Newark, for example, or in the last two months where several mayors have headed off toward prison because they had too much power and not enough thoughtful professional managers to help keep them from getting into trouble and then to bail them out when they did. Ms. Hastings. Mr. Newland, I have a question for you. It relates back to uh, Mr. Edgar's um, comment prior to your speaking about the idea of instead of just the council appoints um, these people, whether or not the mayor can make the, make the appointment with confirmation of the city council, does that accomplish in your mind what you were the issues you were just talking about? I think the better choice is to have those appointments made by the charter, made by the council as a whole. In short, particularly the charter officials need to have that professional stature of a, an appointment as a result of a collaborative effort, a searching effort, seeking out the best professionals possible. Uh, without any indication of narrowness. They need broadly to be able to bring about collaboration with people throughout the city. In short, the city attorney needs to belong to all the people, and by that appointment being through the council as a whole, following processes that are professional and open, that's most likely to occur. Ms. Thomas. Um, I, I agree with um, a lot of what you've said, um, Chair Edgar. Um, I think that the city manager and the mayor have to have a good relationship for the city to really move forward in a, in a really solid policy direction. So I, I can see um, having the, the mayor um, select, and they would have to do it, that person would have to do it with the collaboration of the council, have that person select and then have the council confirm the selection of the charter officers and I believe even department heads. So you'd have a situation where the mayor would have the power to select and bring forward to the council and then the council would confirm charter members and department heads because I think that person, the mayor needs to have that kind of a good working relationship if they're going to move their policy direction Forward, So I think that that, to me, is a really good checks and balance. And then in terms of removal, I think you do have to separate it out. That if the mayor and a majority of the council want to remove either a charter member or, uh, excuse me, a charter member, wants to remove a charter um, officer or a department head, that it's just a majority of the council. But I like the twist on it that if there is, um, that the council wants to remove um, either a charter official or a department head that they can do so for cause. So I like that. I like that. I think it's an elegant solution to um, a situation where the mayor and the council may not be um, wanting to remove, or uh, the mayor may not want to be wanting to remove any of those individuals, but the council as a whole might want to. So I, I like that how it, how it works. I think that it works well with 
this community. This community wants the mayor to sit with uh, the council to deliberate, to um, have a policy objective, to push a policy agenda, and I think in order to do that, that they need to have a good working relationship with not only the charter officers but with the department heads. The only clarification I would make, Tina, was uh -huh. that in, in my uh, straw man here, uh, I think the department heads need to be appointed by the city manager or the city manager can't be held accountable for those department heads. I think they need to be confirmed by the mayor and the council. But I think there needs to be authority. If you're going to have the authority, you need to have the responsibility. So I would, and it's a nuance here, but I, I would say the charter officers could be appointed by, nominated or appointed by the mayor, confirmed by the council, but the department heads would be appointed by the city manager and uh, confirmed by the mayor and the council. And then below the department heads, the exempt confidential employees would be appointed by the city manager. And um, I, I think to to have the mayor also appoint the department heads, I, I don't know, that, that puts the city manager in a very difficult position, I think, and I, I, I couldn't support that. I can, I can appreciate your position on that. Um, I think it's something that I'd just like to hear from others about. I sure. think that, again, um, you know, I, I'd like to see the mayor have a good, solid policy agenda, and one way to do that would be to have the ability to have that person select department heads with the confirmation of the council. But I can understand your position on the city manager and where he or she might stand um, and the um, sort of that issue, so I'd like to hear from others. Sure. Mr. LaFosso. Um, <clears throat> my, uh, if the checks don't check, there's no balance aphorism was intended to get to the competing issues of bosses, or, or I should say concerns, of bossism on one side and a not well articulated, at least in this room, but ever-present critique of the current system that somehow there's not enough centralized direction in government now with tools. Um, so I appreciate your focus, Mr. Chairman, about um, the mayor appointing the city manager, and I think I believe the city manager should have strong authority over the individuals under him. I'm thinking still that under your thought that the city manager is going to be very responsible to the mayor. <laughs> um, and that, that's, that's, that's a lot of, that's a, that in itself is a lot of power to move to the mayor. Um, and again, there is a concern about bossism, which is balanced with a concern that we hear from mainly the newspaper and other places about, you know, lack of tools for the central policymaker, namely the mayor. Um, so I wanted to go two directions. Um, what if the mayor didn't appoint the inspector general? And that person were appointed by the council. And by the way, I like the idea of an inspector general very much. And two, 
Uh, what if the mayor didn't appoint the clerk, since I think the clerk, in a sense, serves the council in a way that maybe some of the other charter officers don't? Um, and lastly, um, as a former city manager, Mr. Chairman, I wonder if you would offer a little bit more on your personal experiences regarding um, some of this commentary that I've read in some of the literature about managers not knowing who who to look to for leadership in the council and shifting majorities and that kind of thing. Um, and again, comment a little bit more from your experience as a city manager on uh, tools of the principal policymaker, namely the mayor, bringing focus. Well, um, managers have different styles. There's, you know, some city managers are more collaborative than others. Um, some city managers are very fortunate, as uh, Dr. Newland pointed out, to have a um, assertive um, leader as a mayor and is able to uh, work with them in that capacity. Um, that my work with the council has always been to try to work with the mayor as the chair of the city council and to work with all the incumbents to carry out their agenda. But I really believe that um, in order for the government to work successfully, there has to be that relationship between the mayor and the manager for the situation to work correctly. Um, and um, you're right, uh, under this kind of a proposal, the mayor would have um, increased authority to appoint the charter officers, although there would be the bet check and balance of the mayor of the uh, appointments having to be confirmed by the council. But I, I really believe that if the manager is supposed to run the city on a day-to-day -day basis, then he or she needs the ability to make the appointments to the department heads uh, in order that the department heads know who they report to and are, know who their bosses are. However, as a practical matter, the way that works with the city manager normally um, in these days appoints a police chief or a fire chief. He is consulting with the mayor and the council members during that process. And the final appointment, although it is the manager's appointment, has in the background the council and the mayor agreeing with that appointment. I think that's critical because particularly with a police chief, when there is an event in the city or, for that matter, a fire chief, uh, an emergency event, the press is not going to call the city manager for a response. They call the mayor. And the mayor needs to be and the manager need to be working hand in glove uh, on managing the city. That's just the way it is. And I think this proposal that we're, not proposal, but a, a discussion that we're having um, really kind of connotes what, what actually happens in a city. Um, the 
the manager is uh, uh, appointing department heads with the knowledge and acquiescence or whatever of the city council and the mayor. And I think what we're saying here is we ought to take our charter and we ought to modernize it a little bit and recognize what reality is. And, and that's what I think we're trying to do here. Ms. Hastings. Let me stop at this time. Oh, uh, Mr. Taylor. You know, as I'm sitting here, what <clears throat> excuse me is occurring to me is we're really having a discussion on the one side of the ledger is consensus, and on the other side of the ledger is mayoral authority, centralized control uh, from, from, from the office of the mayor. What I would like to suggest that we do for next time we're together and we make a decision is have Mr. Edgar bring forth his proposal and then we can talk about various components of it. Um, I think Dr. Newland makes a very good point when he talks about uh, what I, having the entire council does, uh, being responsible for it is, is good for production of consensus. But we're going to have to balance those two values, consensus on the one side, mayoral authority on the other. And I personally could do it much easier if I had it in a written form before me. And I would like to, to pose a question again, if I could, to Dr. Newland. Um, if you were to move some of those uh, majority confirmations or removals to a supermajority, how much would that allay the fears that you talked about, about corruption and uh, so forth coming into the process? Which, which, again, I think we could have a discussion doing that if we had it in a written format before us and began to, to, to deal with the various components specifically. As a supermajority, obviously, we get a broader base uh, than a mere majority. Which moves I, it further towards consensus, I think. Yeah. I still think, however, from watching mayors and managers and then councils as a whole for the last 55 years, that certainly Bill is correct. No manager will remain in the job with success if the manager is not working closely with the mayor and, in some cases, the deputy mayor. Certainly when I was a deputy mayor in Texas, uh, the mayor and the manager worked constantly with one another. But frankly, the leadership of that mayor, whether it was Eric Johnson in Dallas or my mayor in Denton and Fort Worth, it was a matter of a mayor having the authority of the community as a whole and having that leadership. So if I can get to the other issue of the charter officers, having a city attorney who can speak up forcefully, as the city attorney did here in Sacramento, analyzing the proposed initiative is important. I cannot imagine a city attorney being able to speak that forthrightly unless that attorney is selected more broadly than by a mayor. And frankly, a mayor doesn't need that power. A mayor needs authority. And the authority of a mayor comes from community leadership and ability to bring a council together rather than drive it apart. And that's what's crucial. So in short, if the charter gives responsibility to a mayor rather than mere boss power, that responsibility in turn can strengthen the mayor's leadership. And I think that's what we need to be looking at. But again, getting back to Bill's experience, he's certainly correct. I've worked with 
hundreds of city managers over the years, many of them my students, and those who succeed work closely with the mayor to enhance regional and citywide leadership and to make sure that mayor is a strong success. But also that success comes from collaborative behavior by the mayor, and that collaborative behavior results from structures of government that require collaboration with professional experts of the city clerk, the city attorney, and so forth. In terms of the appointment of department heads by the manager, again, Bill is correct. I have not seen successful managers who did not thoughtfully discuss those appointments with the council members and particularly the mayor. For that matter, responsible managers rely heavily upon them for giving cues and leadership in the process. But the selection process still needs to be the one that is professional, that is guarded by civil service rules, so that the people who come out of it at the departmental level bring with them authority, not just naked power, but authority. And that's what we need to be talking about, is the authority of expertise. Then likewise, the authority of a mayor with team leadership powers, not just a person who tries to win alone. No basketball team would ever make it to the lead unless every member of that team played as a team. Those who are stars basketball players are stars because of the others on the team. Put that star out all by himself, and he's not going to win a game. And frankly, the city is similar to that, and we need to think of it in that way. Just like that basketball team must play as a team to produce stars, it relies heavily on a professional manager and then sub-managers to coach them. Those coaches and the managers together must collaborate in turn with the investors, the owners of the team, if they're to be successful. And that's the complication of the city as well. I realize that it sounds attractive and easy to talk about a, mass, about a boss mayor system. But look at those systems, and they are precisely the ones that lead mayors to be failures instead of stars. We have a star in this city with a star basketball player. can be a star mayor. But if left without the support of independent professionals as charter officers and department heads and others, it is likely that just like those mayors in New Jersey in the last two months, will have failed leadership. And I think the uh, system that is a shared authority based on collaboration and authority rather than mere power is the one that is most likely to work. Mr. Johnson. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, this has really been a fascinating discussion, as usual. And um, uh, first of all, I want to preface my comments by saying I'm thinking out loud, and therefore I don't want to be held accountable for anything I say here. <laughs> I would really like to change because um, this is a work in progress for me. I'll make very compelling arguments and very persuasive arguments. Uh, 
let me just say a couple of things uh, about thought process that <clears throat> I've been tracking. Um, I guess my sense in terms of, of charter officers is that they are really, for me, in a separate category from department heads, for example, or sub-department level appointments. Uh, I think that um, they're charter officers for a reason, because of the special role and unique role that they play. Uh, a city attorney has to be independent and has to represent the city and the council as the representative primary body uh, tends to be the, the primary client. You know, we heard this discussion about who's the client. And so it seems to me, um, uh, it was one comment made earlier by someone said that if we had the mayor sit with the council, then this issue of who the client is is resolved. I think that's true. I think that's a, for me, it's a real dilemma and, and the troubling point when you have this issue of do you need to give the mayor a separate council from the from the city council. I mean, that's one way of resolving it, but do you, do you really want to do that? Um, but it seems to me that um, because of the independent role that a treasurer must play, in my experience, that a treasurer really is a, is, is a critical role in terms of fiscal policy for a jurisdiction. And there needs to be some independence there. Uh, this, and, and also a high degree of professionalism. The clerk is obvious. The clerk has to be the person, the institution that everybody can rely upon to be unbiased and to be a straight shooter. So you can't have that person controlled, shouldn't have that person controlled by a single politician. Um, uh, and, you know, the other, the other uh, charter officers, I think, fall into similar categories. So I would argue that there has to be a process of appointment in which there's a vested interest through the process of concurrence between uh, the mayor and the city council in terms of those appointments. Uh, I, th I think that that gives the, the elected representatives, both the mayor and the council members, uh, additional power, which I think is, is quite appropriate and warranted. On the other hand, when it comes to the question of the city manager and the question of the department heads, I think there's a different, for me, a different set of standards. Uh, first of all, I think it's impractical to give someone uh, responsibility without appropriate authority. Uh, I think that's a, that's a recipe for failure. So I think that uh, it's appropriate for the, the mayor to have the ability to appoint the city manager. And in terms of this question of competence, and professionalism, uh, and a position like that, uh, because the city manager also has to serve the council and the public at large, um, I think concurrence or approval by the by majority of the council makes some sense. I'm not enamored with the notion of supermajority when it comes to the approval of that particular position in form of concurrence by the by by, by the city council, uh, because I think there has to be uh, some ability. Um, to have a real comfort level uh, exist between um, the mayor uh, and the city manager. I do think that the city manager, who is to be held accountable for the performance of the bureaucracy, ought to have the authority as well as the responsibility. And that means that that person, he or she, ought to be 
uh, held accountable for the performance of department heads and sub-department heads and critical staff members. And if you don't have that person uh, given the authority to appoint those persons, then it's difficult, it seems to me, or inconsistent for them to hold them accountable. I think that that is inconsistent. Uh, and so if, if, if you want to have expectations and you want to hold someone accountable, then give them the authority and say, okay, you've made these appointments and selections. Uh, we're going to hold you accountable for their performance. Uh, and through the elected uh, mayor, uh, the city manager is, is directly held accountable as well as to the council uh, for his or her performance. And that includes the question of selecting. That is always a, uh, uh, an administrative, a managerial uh, responsibility. Um, I think that this question of, um, and Chet talked about this notion of power versus authority. Um, I think I can certainly follow that logic and agree with that logic, but I think there's, there's also a, um, uh, another lurking uh, backdrop here in terms of, of, of the variable, and that is this whole notion of expectation. And we've not, in my opinion, highlighted that enough. What do we expect in terms of performance and, 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 and effectiveness from our uh, elected representatives? I think we expect different things from a city council member elected from a district versus a mayor elected at large. Uh, Chet referenced this notion of, um, uh, in the past, when, and, and Tina and I were, were involved in this, I think she chaired this, you know, the uh, the co-chair of the commission on the, the the group that that looked at a city county consolidation, and I remember it came down to for me uh, a real difficult question, and that is how much, how strong, how much, how much authority, how much power should a mayor have? Uh, I felt very strongly that if you're going to have a mayor run countywide at that time, a million plus people, then my person ought to have more authority for going through this an arduous process. Um, and, I, and, and, and I think that there's some merit to that. At the same time, I think there has to be appropriate balance in terms of checks and accountability. But I think, I think people do expect the mayor to be a leader. Uh, and I think there's a difference between being a manager and a leader. Most politicians are not good managers. Most politicians indeed tend to be poor managers. Uh, and, um, you know, leadership is difficult enough without having the, the requisite tools to actually manage the day-to-day -day process. And that's why you have an infrastructure in the form of staff. And so I think there should, there should be some expectation that we want a strong bureaucracy, a strong staff in order to serve the mayor, but, but also the line with the mayor and the mayor's priorities. And that's where I think there's always this political rub. You know, people are, are you know, they'll say it this way. I want the bureaucracy to have a stake in my agenda as mayor. And, I mean, that's really what, 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 what when, when, when I hear this discussion about strong mayor versus um, a strong city manager, it's really about this question of alignment with priorities and alignment with direction. And that's why I think in great part we have this whole discussion. In the absence of a crisis, it's really about the question of do we have new expectations for our elected mayor? Uh, and so it seems to me that um, not being trapped by conventional wisdom may be, may be the right thing here. 
we don't have to have this sort of real sharply cut, you know, um, you know, all black and all white sort of uh, 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 framework of models. We can actually have shades um, of nuance. I think somebody mentioned hybrid. Uh, and then we should think along those lines. We should not allow ourselves to be trapped by the fact of some absolute models, that there must be absolute power. It's, it's, it's a choice between absolute power versus uh, checks and balance. I don't think so. I think it's much more, it should be, it should be much more nuanced than that. Um, uh, Chet knows that the president of USC uses the term thinking gray to, to, to describe his notions of shades. And that's why, that, that's what I'm grappling with. I don't think it has to be some sort of absolute um, sort of dichotomous um, um, approach, uh, you know, if you will, binary, binary approach. I think we really want to talk about the fact of how do we balance expectations and responsibility, accountability, and also build in transparency. And so uh, for now, I'm, I'm going to stop here because I don't want to go any longer. And, and take too much time, but 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 that's where I, my head is is sort of leaning to trying to figure out and grapple with how do you create those types of of of, of shadings, if you will. Thank you, Grantlin. Um, let's go on to another subject area, which I think is also something that um, we've been talking about, and that is the budget process, and. Um, some of us have been thinking about um, having been a city manager and prepared a number of budgets. One of the issues is that trying to figure out during the budget process how nine members, including the mayor, view the priorities of the city and trying to cobble a budget together that reflects those priorities. And it seems to me what's being done by the city and many cities um, throughout this state that I know of um, are beginning to um, have workshops with the city council, um, statements by the city council at the beginning of the year wherein statements of priorities would be determined uh, and then a budget built around that. So it seems to me that one of the things that we could have the mayor do at the beginning of each year is present a statement of policy priorities, which would then have to be discussed, debated, modified, what have you, with the city council, and then that would be approved um, as a statement of priorities for the city for the coming year. And then the manager could build the budget around that statement. Now, as a practical matter, I think many cities, including this city, are trying to move that way, in which councils and mayor get together and decide what's the most pressing need for the current year, whether it's public safety, whether to add more firefighters, whatever, the in more economic development downtown, whatever the priority happens to be, 
that at least you assemble the decision by the mayor and the council as to what those priorities are, then the budget is, in fact, built around that. Uh, it seems to me that puts the mayor and the council in the leadership uh, area, it puts them uh, foremost in the uh, leadership area where they should be. But in the budget process, um, that may be something we, we could talk about. Dr. Newland. I think Bill is correct that the workshops that have come to be practiced in cities like Sacramento are extremely useful. I can remember the days long, long ago when the budget season would only last for two or three months, <laughs> even at the national level. Today, as in a city like Sacramento, those workshops stretched out well over six months. Earlier, I had noted that I do think that cities are successful when the mayor is given a responsibility to present a state of the city and perhaps state of the region uh, recommendations. The timing of those <laughs> is where I don't quite know how to handle it in that a mayor new to office, just like council members new to the office, need to set in on some workshops before they can be expected to know quite what's going on or how to handle it. Fortunately, the workshops have come to the point in many cities where they almost do stretch throughout the year so that new people coming on the council or a new mayor can have opportunities to sit in on those workshops uh, before the mayor would necessarily be required to give that annual address. I earlier noted that in cities with effective mayoral leadership under a council professional management system, the mayor would commonly also present at least quarterly reports to the people in terms of the leadership of that city and potential directions. And a lot of that, frankly, comes out of the workshops that occur. I sat in on the workshops this year uh, in Sacramento, and frankly, I was quite impressed by them. Uh, the council and the mayor listened attentively, raised thoughtful questions. Many people in the audience did. And I would recommend that that certainly is an approach to the budgeting. I would expect the mayor to be given a responsibility to speak with authority and making recommendations. But then the recommendations do need to be presented at some time. And I'm admitting I'm not just sure when. After enough knowledge is out that that can be handled responsibly by the mayor and the council. I do agree with Bill that uh, early on in the process, the mayor and the council need to make relatively clear recommendations to the city. But watching and setting in on the workshops here in Sacramento, as many of you did, we observed the council members and the mayor asking the professionals in the city to come back to them after working through several issues. So often the recommendation by the mayor and the council raises issues 
into which the professionals come back and make the recommendations. Uh, just one closing comment. I started off by noting the changes at the national level. When I first went to Washington, D.C. in 1958, literally the flag came down from the Capitol before the 4th of July and Congress didn't come back until the next January. And also I could go down to the old Bureau of the Budget and by and large we put together a budget in three months. Today it's an eight-year process. In short, we look ahead eight years and the process goes on 12 months. And if they had 13 or 4, they could use them. Uh, the city is increasingly getting that way as well. And that accounts for my inability to say just what the timing would be. But I certainly would recommend that a mayor needs to have responsibility for accepting strong leadership. But I still would argue that that mayor needs to engage in collaborative leadership to bring authority to those recommendations. Uh, Mr. Taylor. I just wanted to clarify what I think both of you are saying in common to make sure that I understand this because it sounds to me like a good idea, and that is that the mayor would have some role in developing essentially a state of the city address that would be delivered, I think as you said, Bill, in early January, which would spell out the policy priorities that the mayor is w wants to put forward, and then that would be uh, developed through, through a process that you talked about a moment ago, Chad, could have public input in a variety of fashions. But then that would go to the city council. The city council would then collectively with the mayor establish what the uh, end priority policy priorities would be. Is that what? Yes. Okay. That sounds to me like a very reasonable proposal. It certainly puts a central focus on the mayor as the leader of the community, but brings in the collaborative process with the council as well. Okay, there, there are two other issues. Uh, one is term limits. Um, and what's the sense of the committee on term limits? I hate the person. <laughs> so do I. Mr. Johnson. <laughs> Why is that? Uh, I think they, well, for me, I've never understood the rationale, um, how they actually contribute to uh, the democratic process. Uh, I believe that elections uh, are both a contract, renew contract hirings and contract renewals. And they work perfectly well. And uh, I've noticed that a lot of people who've advocated for term limits backslide on the other side when it comes to them. When their acts get scored, all of a sudden, they're running for every office they can they can think of, and so this notion of citizen legislator doesn't 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 seem to be very consistent. And I have a lot of friends who have been on both sides of the issues, but it seems to me that that um, if one serves well and performs well well, and is able to convince the public that he or she deserves a contract renewal through re-election, then that's the process that is tried and true and should be utilized. Um. Ms. Hastings. I think that when um, taking a look at the Strong Mayor Initiative and, and what appears to me to be a, a tremendous amount of power, that the case for term limits has to go hand in hand with that. Um, however, with a more balanced system, the need for that, I think, tends to not be quite as important. I actually really like the... Um, 
the term limitation that Fresno has put on their mayor, which is um, actually they have it for both the council member and the mayors, of two successive terms. Um, shall you have to, to, to re after two terms you have to take a term off, and then you can come back. Ms. Fuller. Uh, I think there are term limits, and they're called uh, elections. <laughs> Mr. Taylor. I hate term limits as much as Grantland does. I think they rob the community of experience. Uh, there's a process, as Ms. Fuller just said, of removing folks, and it's called elections. But some of the people who have contributed most to this community in elective office have done so beyond two terms. Uh, Grantland, you were on the board. Was it two terms? You you did two terms. Isla Collin did six. I mean, and I think she did a great job for this community in many ways. You would have been robbed of, of most of that that experience she had. I think the other thing which goes on with this is uh, you need experienced office holders who can hold the bureaucracy in check. I think what's happened at the state level, Alan, you probably know this much better than anybody else in the room, is the bureaucracy has gained uh, enormous power at the expense of the legislature because of term limits. Uh, Mr. Murphy. Well, I agree with both of what was said, but I, I will say I'm going to hold a reservation to see what the recommendations are about the mayor's ultimate powers. Uh, the more power you give him without checks and ballots, whether it, she or he uh, sits with the council or independently, all drive whether I interest in term limits. Um, however, having said that, I can't believe over the years how many people didn't realize when they voted the legislative term limits, didn't realize they voted for lifetime limits. And so there are term limits and then there are term limits. That's a good point. Mr. LaFasso. Well, speaking of how many people voted for term limits in 1990, I'm sure many people have forgotten that Proposition 140 passed by only 52 to 48 percent. Um, and probably people didn't realize it was uh, term limits. Um, uh, yeah, term limits have radically changed state government for the ill. And as we've watched a painful um, state budget process in the last uh, several months, um, I think people have forgotten that um, the 1992 budget impasse um, was broken in 1990 when one day the Speaker of the Assembly decided to ride the elevator down to the first floor, walk into the Governor's office, and knock on the Governor's door and bring that to an impasse. And um, term limits don't allow uh, legislative leaders to, uh, to be able to do that anymore, at least not with the kind of authority that they once did. Um, it's, I guess... Term limits are very popular, and we can't lose sight of that fact. Um, I guess uh, echoing uh, what Ms. Fuller said, that we have term limits, there are elections. I guess I'm glad that we preserved some uh, discussion for election procedures, because ultimately I think there are better ways of dealing with the public's frustration with uh, competition in elections and candidacies. And uh, I'll stop talking and say... Um, yes, term limits are popular, but they're very problematic. Okay. Um, I, I don't sense a lot of support for term limits on the committee, uh, although obviously people are, are 
seeing what the final recommendation is going to be before they do that. The last kind of item um, is whatever we propose has to have an effective date. I think uh, Cecily indicated a transition period of time. It seems to me that um, if the council puts an alternative measure on the ballot, which apparently they want to do, that we ought to have at least a transition period. And, and I would argue that the effective date for whatever they put on the ballot ought to be 2012. Um, any comments on that? Mr. Taylor. One word. Yes, I agree. Okay. It should be coterminous with, the, with any uh, election for, for a new mayor. Yeah, that would be the, uh, the, right, that would be the election for the new mayor. Which I guess would be what June or well, June would be the June, primary, so it would be yeah. uh, November. It would be effective yeah. November 2012. Okay, uh, Ms. Thomas. Uh, I too concur, concur with that approach. Uh, Ms. Hastings. I concur. However, there is uh, an additional issue that the voters of that the charter changed in San Diego had, which was a sunset clause of five years. And um, I would like to have our, our panel discuss that issue. Any thoughts on that? Ms. Thomas. I think maybe rather than an absolute sunset, perhaps there should be an ongoing charter commission that reviews the charter on an oh every other year or <laughs> who said, oh, God, dinner? <laughs> but, you know, that, you know, we have we revisit it. Um, there may be again. I think somebody said earlier. I think it was um, Bill that we need to look at always modernizing the charter, and um, I think we can we can do that. Maybe it's not every year. Maybe it's every three years or every four years, uh, coterminous with uh, elections. But there should be some sort of an ongoing review, and it shouldn't have to come in reaction to um, an initiative. It should be something that this community goes through. Um, on the natural. Mr. Lufasa. I myself thought over the weekend about an uh, ongoing charter review process, and I know some other local governments have that. Um, I, I think I, I really enjoyed this evening's discussion because I think we've really gotten into some very subtle incremental details. And I think if we're going to approach reviewing the charter in that careful way as opposed to another method which is a radical change and then a process of saying, oops, did we screw it up and go too far, um, I'm not sure if we proceed as methodically with nuance, a good word Mr. Johnson used, um, a sunset is as necessary since I, a uh, periodic review can maybe get a city to greater change it might want incrementally but with less disruption. So maybe a sunset isn't needed depending on how radical the changes ultimately we recommend. But, but Alan, you would then recommend an ongoing review process? Is that what you would or not? 
Um, uh, it's not necessarily on point to uh, a, a sunset, but I think it has merit as as an alternative viewpoint yeah, of right. looking at things I incrementally think, forward rather than forward backward. Right. I think that's what uh, Ms. Thomas was suggesting, rather than a flat-out vote yes or no on the change as a sunset. She's talking about maybe an ongoing every three years to have the charter reviewed process, right? Yeah. Um, okay, Ms. Fuller. I pass. Okay, uh, Ms. Hastings. I like sunsets as much as you guys don't like term limits. <laughs> However, um, you know, we have to go back to why cities change their charters, why cities convert from one system to the other, and most of what we've been uh, studying is converting council managers to executive mayor systems. And the, the, the idea of a crisis that occurred or a scandal or something which occurred in Fresno and San Diego would be more reason, I think, to give voters uh, the uh, ability to be able to reevaluate this in a period of time. And, and given that, as much as I love sunsets, given that we don't really have that type of crisis or scandal at this point, um, that may be more cumbersome than what is needed given the deliberation of these subtle incremental approaches, as Alan so coined. Would you support then, Cecily, a, a kind of an ongoing every three year or whatever? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. We're. Uh, are there any other issues, subject matters, for the good of the order at this point? What I was going to suggest, Cecily. Um, there were just. I'm going to go back to the very. First question, which was, does the mayor deliberate sit with the city council? Uh -huh. And and I, I know we, we talked quite a bit about that. But I think just to check our, and we were pretty much in agreement. Um, however, I think to sort of test our um, argument in favor of the mayor sitting with the council, I think we need to look at what reasons are there to have the mayor be separated from the council. I personally haven't heard a, a really great argument other than, may, and, and believe me, our current mayor didn't say this to me or anything, but, but there has been a suggestion, if you can imagine, that the mayor wouldn't want to sit and listen to all that, to just be blunt with it. But there may be some other reason why you separate the mayor from the council. Now, I think it was the gentleman from Albuquerque who said that he was very much in favor of the mayor not sitting with the council and that he sent his city manager no, as that, a representative. That was Fresno. 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 Okay. The mayor um, from Albuquerque, actually, just the opposite. He, he, he thought that the, the mayor, in, for all the reasons that's been talked about, in order to collaborate with the council, move the council, push his agenda, needed to sit with the council. That was his. Point. Okay, I stand corrected on that, but I know there were two different approaches. But anyway, so I just like to hear the counter argument to that. If anyone recalls that coming up or has any direct experience on that, simply to test our moving in the other direction. Well, the 
The only comment that I believe we heard was from Mr. Whitehurst, one of our first, uh, who, who was the city, uh, who was the mayor in Fresno. And he, in, he indicated he just didn't like to go to city council meetings. He thought it was a waste of time. And, you know, bless his heart, it probably is. But, you know. At least he was honest. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Mr. Tapia. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, I, I, I think that uh, Mr. Johnson really think it hit the nail on the head when he said earlier we need to think about what do we want our mayor to do, what are his – what are his? That's the primary question here. Is and, and what? How do we empower that person to do what we want him to do? And I think as the sole citywide elected official, he is expected to be the one who's, dri who's driving the train. And uh, where in reality, here in Sacramento, he, he's not that person. We have a full-time chair of a part-time council. And that's basically the authority of, that we have for the mayor. So um, I, I think that's kind of the disconnect that we are facing in our city right now. And that's the gap that we're trying to fill is how do we get this person to be more like the chief executive officer or more like the person who is elected based on the vision for the city that he um, Espouses and that and that he's elected on. Um, and I also want to uh, again, I suggested this at, at, a, at a prior meeting, but um, the uh, National Civic League did put together a um, model city charter that um, all the community, community members have been uh, provided with. That does provide um, a, with, I guess, what they would consider the ideal. Um, mayor council form of government, and they call it the mayor council CAO form, uh, because it does have a professional city manager um, that is in charge of administering the city under the executive um, powers of the mayor. And it's not just charter language in here, but there are analytical questions that they propose, and they suggest that Charter revision and charter review committees consider, and so um, I would just strongly consider, I would strongly recommend that all the committee members, if you haven't taken a look at this, you should do so. Um, it, I was struck by the fact that they go out of their way um, in, in this in this document that is really, um, I think, about ensuring professional management. I think that's their their, their primary goal, but um, they state that their mayor uh, council CAO form that they recommend is not a strong mayor's form of government because of the ch different checks and balances that they recommend in it. So um, I would just encourage everybody to take a look at that and, and the public as well. And I had made that comment earlier as well to make sure this document was available either at the library or at the uh, city manager or city clerk's office because so it, it's not available online. Talked about, excuse me, the kind of changes we've all talked about this evening aren't increasing the mayor's power? Or what? That, that they're what? They're not increasing the mayor's power? No, I'm not but, saying that. But I think um, we need to figure out um, 
No, I, I, would not, I would not characterize that. Um, there, and, I, and I haven't weighed in too much on, on some of the topics that you've raised, mostly because I think they're all kind of connected and we need to figure out, you know, if the mayor uh, is on the council, um, you know, that depends on, uh, or that affects the appointment authority and um, the budget writing authority and, I mean, they're all, they're all pretty interconnected. So um, I'm kind of reserving judgment on, on kind of the bits and pieces until I hear more about what the, what the total package might look like. Well, I, yeah, I was, we're try, just trying, we're not making decisions tonight. I was just trying to get a sense of where the, the committee was, and, and you're right, mm -hmm. you haven't um, checked in on some of these issues, so I was just trying to pull you out a little bit. Uh, John? You know, Chris just used the term driving the train, the mayor driving the train, which I think is, is an interesting concept because the mayor is the elected official of the entire community should be perceived as driving the train. And also you talked about the ability of the mayor to implement his or her vision for the city. It seems to me from what I understand about the proposal that is now qualified for the ballot that the central justification, the central reason for that, I think that's a better word than justification, is to have a centralized focus and to have accountability on one single person, one single office holder, which is really kind of the same thing as driving the train, I think. And I, I just want to put out is a kind of uh, last uh, notion here tonight, at least for me, is that I think our real task here as we move forward to come to, up with a detailed proposal, which is why I was hoping that next week, Mr. Chairman, what you put out tonight could be here in a, a written format that we could, could talk about the various specific aspects of that. But the task really is how to do that, get a driver of the, of the train, the, a, a mayor who can implement the vision of the city within the context of a consensus framework, which has been what we have had in this city in the past, uh, moving it towards increased authority, but nonetheless maintaining a high degree uh, of a consensus framework as we do so. So, and I think that that's been a widely shared view here tonight. Chris's observation on mayoral leadership uh, is a quite important one. And I'll note some examples under the current council manager system Mayor Johnson sponsored and conducted a five-star education summit that frankly would have been a high credit to New York City, to San Francisco, or any other place in this country. I attended all of it. I was quite impressed. The sponsorship by this nation's foremost foundations, the speakers, many of whom were eminent, from across the country, and the engagement of people in this city were simply outstanding. In short, the mayor put on a conference with five-star results. The council manager government does not stand as an obstacle to such leadership. Let's choose another one. Mayor Johnson has been eminently successful and merits high respect for helping to dialogue with national government leadership and bring critical funding to this city. And he has been a success at it. I attended sessions over at the Boys and Girls Club, again, with mayoral leadership by 
the current mayor with no obstacle from the current charter manager system. He provided outstanding sponsorship of programs of great importance to this region, not just the city. And in short, that which brings about star behavior is that sort of collaborative leadership. We don't want a mayor who drives the train. We hire an engineer to do that. We want someone who will give direction to the train and give leadership as to where it's going. But that also needs to be collaborative leadership if we're to have more than one passenger on the train. We want a train filled with people from every neighborhood in Sacramento and from across the region. And we would not get that if we have an amateur driving the train. Instead, we want a trusted engineer who can take care of those mechanics. But likewise, just as Kevin Johnson has brought distinguished leadership to his five-star education summit and several other activities which I've attended, uh, that can bring about great achievement and star power. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I think what, what we'll do now with um, this item is, um, Patty, if uh, you and I could get together and we'll try to put together a, a little outline of the proposal so that we fulfill Mr. Taylor's request and at our next meeting we can kind of go through these areas and discuss them a little more and people have had time to benefit from the discussion today as well as uh, their own thought processes over the next couple of weeks. So if you could do that for Certainly. me. Certainly. Yeah. We'll set some time up. Okay, great. Um, is that satisfactory? The committee will try to put together. A, it's going to be one of these um, matrix kind of things with uh, just outlining these areas. Um, separation of legislative function or whatever and the budget thing and the appointment power and so on. We'll just lay out what this proposal is. Could it have a lot of space around it? <laughs> I mean, as opposed to could there's a lot of space so we can... <laughs> sure, we can do that. <laughs> well, let's start there. I mean, if we're going to use it as, as, as a working tool, we're going to want to change things and talk about things. So, so we'll go further bigger. I guess so the same thing. I, I know we're looking at processes to get information out to us, but the earlier we get that, the better. I, I know it puts pressure on you for other things, but waiting to the agenda package three or four days ahead isn't going to, for me, it doesn't give me a, a, the quality time I'd like to have. Okay, we'll try to get it out earlier. <laughs> All right. Um, Bob, anything else? No. Okay. I think we're on to item number five which should be our last item. And uh, this is the item that's going to, oh. oh we have a speaker. I'm sorry, we have some speakers going. Yes. We have speakers on that item. I'm okay. Sorry. Mr. Bettis, I have. Yeah. 
committee members. Uh, my name is Rick Bettis. I'm a Midtown resident. I've been there for more than 40 years, and um, I consider myself quite, well, relatively active in the community and have been up here on a number of occasions representing organizations, but I'm speaking on, on behalf of myself tonight. Um, I first got involved back, actually back in the 1960s and was rather disappointed with the council at that time. That's when you had the at-large council that's uh, appeared to be somewhat passive, and you know the city manager was truly a boss. But with the 1970 change to uh, the district uh, uh, system, the council got more active, the mayor got more active, and and I think the system has improved substantially, and you uh, had better connection with the public. Um, I actually also supported the uh, consolidation, but that didn't uh, go through. And then I supported the, and quite active in supporting the full-time mayor uh, proposal that was passed. And I think that, again, was a very positive move because it uh, enabled to us to have what uh, I think uh, Dr. Newland has described as a star mayor who can get out and represent the community or the city and, and accomplish some really, really great things. And I think other mayors in the past have, have done the same thing under, under this system. Uh, was also quite involved in the um, efforts uh, to pass a campaign finance ordinance package as well as a lobbyist uh, registration and disclosure uh, package, and which was partially successful at all legislative efforts. There was a compromises made. Uh, in that process, I worked uh, quite a bit with well, the Los Angeles and San Francisco Ethics Commissions, and and that was quite a positive experience. And those two cities, uh, they have quite strong and, and independent commissions, and they serve this role that you talked about, the Inspector General. Uh, they serve that role, and uh, maybe to a greater greater extent, and more effectiveness because it involves the public more than what a, an Inspector General do. But they, they provide the same same. Uh, um, Services. Uh, generally, I feel that the you know, current system has worked well. I could see possible incremental changes in it to give the this mayor the more bully pulpit and more opportunity to to be a leader in the city. I, I like the analogy to the parliamentary system. Uh, we and I think that has been generally successful. And of course, you just have to read back to the history of. World War II, and you had one of the strongest leaders, political leaders of all time, that functioned fine under that parliamentary system. And so I, I would not make major changes. If you make any, um, you're talking about the appointment power, I, I feel that the um, charter officers, especially the city attorney and the clerk and all, are professional positions and, and really should have independence. And I can understand maybe the, the need to... Um, facilitate the uh, city manager and the mayor to work more closely together. So I would, again, be careful in what you change in that respect. Um, and as far as uh, uh, the mayor, I think, should serve with the council and, and listen to the to the folks, and, and I think that's very important. Uh, just last week I went to the uh, exhibit over at the California Museum. Of course, that's all about probably our nation's strongest leader, or in the opinion of many, and he exercised uh, great leadership, but he, again, in his probably the most uh, important uh, speech and most insightful speech, he talked about, you know, we should have a government uh, for, by, and of the people. So I think that should be high on your on your thought process. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Uh, Muir-Strand. 
Good evening. Um, I've prepared um, a um, written comment. But, um, and I you know, express my opinions of um, many of the things that you've discussed tonight. But what really got me out here tonight, instead of just watching this on TV, um, was a concern. Well, let me back up. Um, in terms of, of um, a um, strong mayor, I support decentralization, um, even more decentralization than the current situation. Um, but you can read the details. Um, and then also with respect to the budget process, I've proposed something that's um, new and unusual. But again, you can read that, and if you want to talk to me, you can contact me. But what I'm really here tonight to talk about is a concern that I have that developed um, with what I see going on in the media. Um, the Sacramento Bee coverage is dwindling. Um, channels are proliferating. And I foresee even more trouble um, with respect to um, governance, effective governance, with respect to um, local governments um, communicating with the public um, and the, the balance of power between the government and, and the voters, if you will. Um, it's... And as coverage dwindles, it's harder and harder for voters to be informed and participate in a meaningful manner. And I know that it's a little late in the game, perhaps, for you to be, you know, folding this in now, particularly since your process has been foreshortened. But nonetheless, I, I hope that you will consider, perhaps now and perhaps for the future, how the, this can be improved with respect to the city charter, um, for example, um, the, the titles of agenda items often obscure the actual implications of what might be going on and um, what's recorded in the minutes can be equally um, not very transparent. And so I, I just want to kind of put these considerations on your radar screen. Um, and I hope that, that you'll really give this some serious consideration. Um, as I said, I don't know that, that uh, this process will, will answer uh, or, you know, come to terms with this, but it's something that, that really, really concerns me, and I don't see the situation with media substantially improving, really, anytime soon. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Joe Nem Nemdar. Yeah. Is he here? Okay. You you don't want to speak, Joe? Okay. Thank you. Chuck? There are several things uh, you all were talking about that I wanted to comment on uh, quickly. I know it's late. Um, first of all, term limits. Uh, I think the, one of the big reasons people like term limits is because the incumbents get elected over and over and over and over and over again and rarely get overturned. And on the, in that process, campaign finance is extremely important in getting reelected. So these incumbents get more and more close to the lobbyists who give them more and more money. 
and people see that and get fed up with it and said, we can't pull them out of office, so we're going to limit their terms. Uh, and frankly, I think if you have a really strong mayor, you do need term limits. But one of the things that helps solve that problem is election uh, reform. If we use instant runoff voting, it makes it easier and cheaper for people to challenge incumbents, which is one of the things that would help alleviate the need for term limits. I'd like to take my Californians for local reform hat off now and just talk as a regular citizen here, not representing anybody but myself. I used to be the budget director for a large bank, and I'd just like to say budgets are a year-round project. That was true 30 years ago, and I'm sure it's true now. And it's starting out with objectives, what it is you want to accomplish is the best way to do a budget. All too often when I was doing budgets, it was crank the numbers out. What we spent last year, we'll spend this much this year plus 10%. That's the wrong way to do budgets. You've got to start with objectives and what it is you want to accomplish and then figure out what you'll need to spend to get those accomplishes done. As somebody who's worked in the corporate world for a lot, auditors, as far as I know, always report directly to the board of directors through a committee of the board of directors. Auditors and, and uh, people who are responsible for making sure that the administration is going along the straight and narrow and not doing things they shouldn't be doing need to be completely independent of the, of the people they're auditing. It is insane to me to have an auditor that's hired by uh, an executive mayor or by a city manager. The auditor needs to be hired by the city council. That's the most independent uh, group we've got in a city. Uh, and then just one quick comment. I heard somebody mention supermajorities. We see what supermajorities have done to the legislator, legislature here in California. I used to be active in an organization that required supermajorities, and they ended up with split 50-50 on important items, and they were deadlocked for years. They could not get out of that because half the people wanted it one way and half wanted it the other way, and neither could to gather together a supermajority. Supermajorities sound good, but they're a recipe for deadlock, disaster, do nothing. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you. Mr. Weber. Good evening. Um, I just uh, wanted to make a couple remarks, and that is that I was really uh, sad to hear that you had withdrawn the electoral reform and put it off till a later date, because when you're talking about this charter reform, a lot of things are interconnected. Uh, for example, the term limit issue. You know, it kind of depends, you know, how the electoral process is set up. If you have an electoral process that basically is is rigged and same people are going to be elected over and over and over again, then maybe you want term limits. You know, if you're going to have a, a really honest uh, electoral system, then you don't want term limits. Um, so you're some ways you're putting the apple before the cart and uh, – so the other thing I wanted to say, I want to disagree a little bit with what uh, Chuck had said about the instant runoff voting. 
If you're going to have a, a mayor elected separately, instant runoff voting uh, is good to show a preference of the majority of the citizens and not have to have a costly runoff election. But as far as the legislative body, that should rec re represent the various interests in, in this uh, community. And you can't do that by electing one person by a district. That's why I would say proportional representation is probably the only way we're going to get a truly representative legislative body of the community that in which we live. And uh, so I just, just wanted to toss those in, uh, you know, while you're still listening. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't think Chuck wants to talk. Do you have anything more to say, Bob? No. Okay. All right. All right. Item number five. Uh, is the report, which is our status report that we need to submit to the council. And Patty, I would have uh, two suggestions. One um, would be under the work plan that we just include a calendar. What, what, okay, the calendar that we The adopt. revised calendar right. that we came up with this right. evening. Sure. And then on the next page, I think all of that from as noted in the Commission's June progress report. See where I'm reading from? On that? You go into the work plan, the next page? Mm -hmm. Okay. Take all of that, start as noted in the committee's, all the way down to outreach phase. Just keep, take that out because that's... Redundant. It's redundant. Yeah. Okay. And I think, you know, any changes uh, that can be made in this report pursuant to what we did tonight probably ought to be put in there, this three-tiered approach. We probably need to talk about that. Are there any uh, committee comments on the proposed staff report? which is the status or the, yeah, progress report. Okay. Okay. Are there any public comments not on the agenda? We're done. Okay. Um, committee ideas, questions? Ms. Hastings. I accepted the assignment last week of preparing a draft of questions to pose to the community, and I have a copy of that, and I'll also provide it via email. Okay, great. Um, okay, are we ready to adjourn? Could I have a motion? Second. All in favor, say aye. We're adjourned.